Good morning, Reason Church. If I get the mic up just a little bit. Yep, there it is. Good morning. How are you guys? <clears throat> so, um, as you saw, my name is Eric. Our pastors are out of town. Um, so, if during the message at all today you're like, wow, this guy's weird, come back next week. The guy who's usually here is a lot better. Don't worry. Um, <clears throat> but I will start off by saying that I'm going to go quick. Um, just so that we can all make it to the gym for the one day out of the entire year that we'll actually go. So don't worry, I will make this quick. Um, no, but really, I am proud that you made it to church on New Year's Day. Now we finally know who the real committed people of Reason Church are. That is you guys. You guys got a special seat in heaven for making it to church on New Year's Day, man. Now, okay, maybe if it was like at 8 a.m., but 11.30 you still got to sleep in, so you got no excuses. But we'd like to start off every service by... Just welcoming those who are visiting us. Um, I, I always like to think of church as its church is at its best when its doors are open to people who aren't normally churchgoers. Um, so if that's you, if, the, if you're not normally into church, if church is not your thing, um, I, really do, I really do hope um, that you feel welcomed here, that you feel wel um, welcomed into an environment that is okay for you not to agree with everything, that is okay for you to just sit back and observe. You don't have to do anything. You might see some of us raising our hands or singing and stuff. If you just want to observe, feel free. You get no weird looks from anybody. This is a safe place, and that's the environment we want to keep. Amen? Amen. Um, and also, as you saw, our pastors are out. And I just want to say real quick, actually, before I go into the message, is you guys are blessed to have pastors in Jesse and Becca. And I'm, and I'm serious. I see these people behind the scenes, and they love people so much. They, this past year, I've known them. They, I've never seen anybody work harder for other people to succeed, for other people to find life, for other people to, to go on and, and accomplish what God has for them. These people work their hearts out, and I just want to honor them, and I hope that we are praying for them as this next year goes on, as they lead the charge. I hope that we, as, as their community, we come behind them, and we support them, and we love them because they are amazing, and we are blessed to have them as our pastors. That's, celebrate that. And it's, it's true. We are so blessed. Um, so I'll hurry and get into this. Um, you can take, if you're taking notes, today's title is work. Work, 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 work. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Rihanna said it best. Um, so this morning I want to talk to you about a scripture that talks about the good works that God has prepared for you. Um, and I want to encourage some of you that your value, your confidence, your forward motion in life is not based on your current situation. It's not based on where you currently find yourself. But did you know that there is a God who has laid out works for you in this season, in this next year, for you to do? Now, I don't have time today to discuss determinism or God's, God's sovereignty versus man's free will, but I try to make my language as clear as possible. Anyways, there are people who wait and wait and wait for the right door to open before there is any forward motion in their lives. It's like I'm on the couch, right? And sitting on the couch, and I really want a sandwich. Sandwich is sounding so good right now. And there are all the ingredients in the fridge for a sandwich. 
but I stay sitting on the couch just hoping that that sandwich will appear magically in front of me. What are the odds that I actually get that sandwich? They're not, it's not very likely. Not very likely that I'll actually ever get to eat a sandwich if I leave all the ingredients in the kitchen. And in the same way, you could be feeling stuck. You could be feeling discouraged. You could be feeling like nothing is going for you, like the sandwich is not appearing and you're really frustrated. But there is good news, that there is a God who has good works for you to walk in. In this next year, you could even be feeling the other way. You've got everything you want. You've got, you, but it's still empty. You've got all these opportunities in this next year, but you still feel like something is missing there is good news for you, that there is a God and heaven who is near to you, who is close to you, who is your father, who cares about your doings, and no matter what door opens or doesn't open, he has good works for you. He has a purpose for you in the season you're in. Way too often, we wait for the next season. Oh, when this happens, when I get here, when, I'm, when, when this goes for me, when this door opens, then I'm going to start doing stuff. Then my life's going to be good. He has good works for you to walk in in this season. Can we celebrate that, church? Come on. He's got good things for you. And the best part about this is that it's all a gift. It's all a gift, a purpose, a meaning. It is a gift for you only because of Jesus. So I'm going to get into the scriptures here in Ephesians, um, and I'll show you this from there. So it says, as for you, someone say, as for you, You were dead in transgressions. Someone say dead in transgressions. I like participation at church. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable, someone say incomparable riches, I love the oh my I love this verse so much incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do So how is it that we have good works prepared for us? First thing I want to point out to you from this scripture is because God did the work first. So the the scripture is said, not by works, right? But that does not mean that salvation for humanity did not take work. As a matter of fact, it did. It took a lot of work, but it wasn't yours. It was his, right? So the good news of Jesus is that your works aren't for salvation. The good news of God begins with the fact that we can finally admit to ourselves and to God that we cannot work ourselves to being good enough. That is what it begins with. And the fact that it states that and begins with that is so freeing because that means you don't have to work yourself to being good enough. And the reality is, Jesus is the only person to ever say that you couldn't work yourself to salvation. 
Don't take my word for it. Study world religions. They will all hand you a list of works to do in order to achieve end goal of said religion. Liberation, salvation, nirvana, union with God, union one with the universe, however you put it. If you do this, then you will achieve this. But I like how my good friend C.S. Lewis here puts it. He says, the Christian is in a different position from other people who are trying to do to be good. They hope by being good to please God if there is one, or if they think there is not, at least they hope to deserve approval from good men. But the Christian thinks any good he does comes from the Christ life inside him. He does not think God will love us because we are good, but that God will make us good because he already loves us. Just as the roof of a greenhouse does not attract the sun because it is bright, but becomes bright because the sun shines on it. Whew, that's so good. So these words written in Ephesians, not by works, are actually revolutionary. If you've been around Christianity for any amount of time, this concept will come up, hopefully. But for some of us, we've heard this. We, we know this, right? But can I tell you that this worldview is not common this concept is not normal. It's actually revolutionary. It, it actually changes everything. And no one else has, and only here, no one else has ever said these words. Only in the Bible, only in the teachings of Jesus, will you find the concept that it is a gift freely given to you. It's not normal. We get so used to it, but it's not common. Salvation as a gift? <laughs> you say that anywhere else, they'll laugh at your face. It's not normal. I want to read these words in Ephesians one more time. It says, um, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Even when we were dead in sin, he, you still get the gift. He still did the work. You did not work yourself to this, but he came and he changed everything by giving you a gift, a free gift that all you have to do is receive. And so now when we... When we think of salvation, the first thing that comes to our minds is, oh, cool, I get to go to heaven. That's nice, right? Like, oh, cool, nice, heaven, I'll be there one day, right? And yes, it's true. We do have a, of a hope of eternity with God, and we do have this hope of a new heaven and a new earth, but it does not end there. As a matter of fact, I'll go on to say that the idea that what Jesus did in salvation is primarily to get us out of hell one day is way too dominant in our thinking of Jesus and salvation. See, he did not only come to give us a get out of hell card or get into heaven, some vague idea of heaven in the future, because if salvation was only for the future, then what are we doing here? Right? We'd be essentially just, I guess, waiting to die. 
I mean, what kind of good news is it, right? If you're like, Jesus, I believe in you. And then he's like, sweet, man, now just wait till you die. You'll be in the clouds. It'll be all white. It'll be like really fluffy and puffy. You'll be spiritual and floating everywhere. And there's creepy babies flying everywhere. You'll love it. Don't worry. Way too many people think that. Way too many people are sold on that idea. But we're not here to wait till we die. We have a purpose, and we have good works that God has laid out for us. But before we can walk in those, what Jesus has come to offer is not only, is yes, he has, but it's not only salvation for after death and eternity, but the Bible describes it as right now, he has given us a change in our being so deep, so real, so radical, that the Bible compares it to a resurrection from the dead. (laughs) So much more than a blind eye to your wrongdoings. So much more than than a get-out-of-hell card. One of the great Christian preachers, Charles Spurgeon, he puts it this way. He says, New principles stir the new nature which God has given, and this new nature is conscious of new emotions It loves what it once hated. It hates what it once loved. It finds blight where once it found bliss and finds bliss where once it found nothing but bitterness. And now the man is also new in relationship. He was an heir to wrath. He is now a child of God. He was a bond slave. He is now a free man. He he now pants to glorify God. What cared he about the glory of God once? He now pants to see God. Once he would have paid the fare if it would have cost his life that he might escape from the presence of the Lord. Now he hungers and thirsts after the living God. If his soul had wings and he could break the fetters of this mortality and he would mount at once to dwell where Jesus is. Dear friends, are you new men? If you are, you understand what it is. If you are not, I know I cannot explain it to you. Oh, to be born again is a great mystery. Blessed is the soul that comprehends it, but he that knows it not will never learn it by the lip. He can only know it by the Spirit of God, causing him also to be made a new creature in Christ Jesus. In the words of our scripture in Ephesians, we then become God's handiwork. And only then can we walk in the purpose that he has created for us. Another way you can put it is God did the work so we can do good works. I remember my first time at a skate park. And just FYI, I am not a skateboarder at all. Like, I skateboarded for a little bit in middle school, but it hurt way too much. Like, I am so much better on my two feet, on the floor, just safe, just good, just like not dirty, not sweaty. Like I'm, just, I'm good. Like that is my prime place to be. Just, just good. So, I tried skateboarding, and I was with this friend. He was all of a sudden getting into skateboard. We were really good skateboarding, and we were really good friends. And he was like, "Hey, man, come on, let's go, let's go hit the skate park." And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea." I don't know why I said that. It was like seriously the worst idea of my life. Anyways, he's like, yeah, man, I got pads for you. He gives me his deck. We go up, we go over to the skate park and show up. 
right? I see no one else has any pads on. I'm like, what am I doing? So just like, you know, hide those away. Start holding the skateboard like everyone else does, you know, just like trying to fit in. Don't want to look like a noob. Never been, but I still want to look like I got it together. So, so I show up, no lie. And I don't know if they have like some secret code where they know like, oh, this, like, this guy's never been to the skate park before. But I felt literally everyone was watching me. And I was just like, you know, like trying to like keep it together. And so they... So as they're watching me, I set my skateboard down, <laughs> and I'm not even exaggerating or making this up. This is a true story. I don't, I don't know how this even happened. Nerves, everyone watching me, everything, and all just like went into one. But I seriously set my skateboard down, and <laughs> and I fall. I, I put a foot on it. Like, what happened to my other foot? You let me down. <laughs> it's like, I have no idea what happened, but I seriously just fell. The worst part was the chuckles all around the skate park. It was horrible. Never went back again. I hate skateboarding. Skateboarding is the worst. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If you skateboard here, that's fine. God forgives you. <laughs> Don't judge me. But let me ask you kind of a deep question. Um, so I can be at a skate park, right? And I can look the part. I can act the part. But at one point, do I go from poser, you know, as the hip kids call it, to to an actual skateboarder. Like, at what point? I guess first you would have to define what it means to be a skateboarder. And actually, one of the biggest debates right now in philosophy and psychology is our innate morality. Meaning, are we born good, or are we born bad, or are we born with any morality at all? And philosophers debate, and psychologists debate, and tons of studies done on this, and I would tell you some, but honestly, I've yet to find one that's really convincing. Um, Harvard University recently had uh, babies in a room, and they played out different scenarios to see how they would react. That's all great. That's so cool. I'm for it. But my question in the middle of this debate, in the middle of this conversation, is where do they draw the line of what makes a person good and what makes a person bad? Like, they ask, okay, are we born good or are we born bad? And I ask, okay, what is good and what is bad? Right? So, psychology cannot answer this for you. Philosophy can't answer this for you. They can answer, are we born good and are we born bad? But they cannot answer what is good and what is bad. As a matter of fact, no education at all can answer this for you. Why? Because there are no innate values and there is no innate morality in, an edu in education in and of itself. Now, nothing against education, but kind of like my man C.S. Lewis here says, he says, uh, is it up there? Nope, C.S. Lewis. Education, there it is. Education without values, as useful as it seems, I'm pro-education, by the way, y'all. That's not what I'm saying. Listen to me. Seems rather to make man a more clever devil. See, there is little good in education when the educated are rooted in subjective morality. Meaning, what's good for you is good for you, and what's good for me is good for me. So being, as G.K. Chesterton famously said, he said, as being it possible that one can feel happiness while skinning a cat or killing another human is what's good for them still good. They say, do what makes you happy. Oh, except you, or except you, we'll put you in jail. <laughs> or unless you do this, unless you do that, 
But then again, we find ourselves at the very foundational issue is, where do you draw the line? Where is that line drawn? So the foundational question, I guess, would be, who says what is good and what is bad? And we've got to begin with the fact that no human can transcend outside of the box of his mind to make statements of ultimate reality. One of the leading intellectuals of the 1900s, his name is Aldous Huxley, he was nominated seven times for the Nobel Prize in Literature. This guy, he was, like, in, he was smart, he was a thinker, like, he was recognized as one of the smartest people of his time. He's got this to say. He says, I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning, and consequently assumed that it had none, and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics. He is also concerned, this is the, this is the kicker, to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do. He then goes on and talks about his friends who are philosophers, some of the most preeminent philosophers of that time as well. And, and he talks about how they preach that the world is meaningless and that there is no God so that they don't ha he says this, so that they don't have to submit to the responsibility of what believing in a, in a God would be. Then they are free to do whatever they want. The cost? A meaningless existence. But tell me, can a person, can people like that, and I'm not only pointing fingers at them, I, it's the same of me. It's the same of us. We all have our motives. We all have, we all have things that we aspire to. We all have bias, whether you say it or not. But can people truly be non-biased in their statements of ultimate reality? No. Can people like that be non-biased? No, they can't. We can only take statements on absolute truth and ultimate reality from one who is transcendent in those statements. And in all the world, in its entire history, there has only been one who fits that criteria, and his name is Jesus. There has only been one person who fits the criteria and, and can make those statements of absolute truth, because absolute truth exists. It is real. And his name is Jesus. And there are so many reasons why I can prove this to you. But I'm going to show you one real quick from a scripture in 2 Corinthians. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, he was qualified because he knew no sin, meaning he was transcendent beyond our, our abilities, our, our shortcomings. He was transcendent beyond us. And not only did this qualify him to make statements of absolute truth, but he then is the standard himself for what is good. See, because the standard for what is good is he who knew no sin. Why? Because it don't get gooder than that. It don't. That's as good as it gets. He who knew no sin. But the thing is, because we know sin, 
Hence the reason why we can't make those statements on absolute truth. Because we, we are limited. We aren't transcendent. But because he knew no sin and we know sin. I'm so glad the verse doesn't end there. It says, he became our sin so that we might become the righteousness, the goodness of God. In the same way that an apple tree will only bear apples, and in the words of Jesus from the gospel, that a good tree will bear good fruit, and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. And now this is not to say that people who don't follow Jesus won't ever do great or amazing things. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is Jesus being the standard himself, the only way to walk in the good works and the purpose and in the meaning that God has for us is by being made new by him, redeemed, being made new, and then we can do good works as he makes us new and works in us. And that's the last thing I want to point out to you guys today is <clears throat> God did the work so we can do good works as he works in us. I'm going to go back to the scripture in Ephesians real quick. It says, <clears throat> for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. See, this phrase, in Christ Jesus, appears 26 more times in just this letter. As a matter of fact, biblical scholars go on to say that this entire letter, all of Ephesians, this that we're reading, this entire verse, everything that it says, hinges on this verse, in Christ. They even go on to say that all of God's promises for humanity hinge on, hinge on this phrase, in Christ. And I'm going to go on to say that until this phrase here has as much significance in our lives as it does in this letter, we have yet to live, as Jesus says, life and life to the fullest. Until this phrase has as much meaning in our lives as it does in this letter, we have yet to live life and life to the fullest. And continuing his tree analogy, good trees will bear good fruit, bad trees will bear bad fruit. Jesus says later in the Gospels, he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can hear today's message, and it's titled work, 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 work. Don't judge me. Anyways, you can hear today's message titled work, and your response could be like, okay, I get it. Jesus is good, and he saved me. All right, now I got to go, and I got to do a lot of good things. I got to go out and really try to do work, and I got to do good works, and I got to be good, and I got to try harder in this area, and I got to do more here. No. The very message of the gospel is that we couldn't go out and just do good, that we couldn't go out and be good enough, remember? So that's not our response. Our response is not, okay, all right. I don't want to miss out on what God has for me, so I'm going to go out and do really, really good this time. That's not a response. The only way that we will walk in the purpose that God has for us 
and receive this and this gift of salvation will come into play in our lives the only way is in Christ Jesus that is the only way this message will mean a single thing to you. You can go and try your hardest to be religious. You can go and try your hardest to be a really, really, really good person. But the message of the gospel is that on our, in, our, in our own strength, we could not. So what is our response? Our response as we leave is Jesus. It might seem too simplistic, but, but our response is Jesus. I, I want you. I want to know you more. I want to, I want to walk with you more. Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you every day. I don't want to receive this gift and leave it on Sunday and then go back and try again and try my hardest and then fail and then come back on Sunday and, oh, I receive the gift again. Then I go back and I try again and it sucks and it's hard and I quit. Too many Christians are on that cycle. The only way this message will be relevant to your life is this phrase, in Christ Jesus. See, you don't have to live a meaningless existence because you're afraid of what following God will be like. Because he is not interested in giving you a dull life, a boring life. He is not interested in bringing you burdens and and trying to make you just go see if you can do it on your own. That is not what this life is like. You don't have to live meaningless because God himself did the work. He did the heavy lifting for you. He did the work so that we, as he works in us, we can have purpose. We can have meaning. Come on, can somebody celebrate because this is good news. This is good news. heavy lifting so as we close to, as we close this morning I just want to ask if you will get up and, and I pray that as we hear this message that it will bring us to worship the fact that you don't have to work yourself to salvation, the fact that this life of meaning and of purpose is a gift to you, man, makes me want to shout. I'll be the only one shouting up here if that's what you guys want, but I'm excited at the fact that I have meaning when I don't deserve meaning, that I have a purpose when I don't deserve a purpose, that he is good to me even when I don't deserve him to be good to me. So can we sing? Can we worship, guys? Let's sing out to God and not, not because we're not because we're